Coming up this hour, not everyone has as much free time as you might think, and are protesters modern-day Rosa Parks? That's coming up here on The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Happy Tuesday. I'm only saying that now because I have to remind myself actively... Like, like what which day is it again? Day is today, right? <laughs> it's funny because that's something that you used to do, and I used to razz you for, and now I do it just like as an exercise in mental health. Like, okay, it's Tuesday. Remember, Ian, it's Tuesday, and I'm I was not even totally confident time. that it is. What did you? What did you say? I said I was ahead of my time. Yes. Look at you. What a what a true innovator. Innovator who uses Explorer. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com slash the Common Good. Wherever it is, you get podcasts and at Common Good Talk, both Twitter and Instagram. A quick PSA about that: uh, if you wouldn't mind liking and reviewing both the Facebook page and the podcast, both those things really really do help us out. We know a lot of people are looking for new podcast material right now. So if you want to hit that share button and uh, that does really help us out. And we appreciate that very, very much. Brian from before I dive into this first story, just a yep. quick check in with my buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I still, you know, we're doll Charles trying to figure out what this all looks like. I do feel like I'm getting more productive working at home than like really? the first week or two of doing this. Like I feel like I'm getting into a work rhythm, uh, which is good. And uh, like, I felt like those first couple of weeks, it was like, what do you, how do you work from home? When, where do I not go downstairs? But now I feel like I'm doing good. And as you, uh, you commented on Facebook, I finally defeated my son in wiffle ball last night. So that was a big day for me. <laughs> really proud of you. That's a big deal. Uh, thank you very much. But no, uh, I'm doing okay. Reminder, how, how, how old is your son? Uh, my son is 12 and <laughs> he uh, is a better baseball slash wiffle ball player than I've ever been. So I'm, I'm, I, I was starting to get worried that I wasn't going to win any of these because we're going to try to do this all for all summer. And uh, being 0-4, I was getting a little worried here. But I took the win yesterday. I, you took the win and you made time to post about it. Hey, want, want to I let did. you guys all know I crushed my 12-year-old son today. I actually posted it in front of him just to taunt him. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, your trash talk is strong, Brian. It Brian. is. It is. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, we... I. I, I feel like I keep reading articles that are speaking to my soul, which makes me feel a little less crazy. We uh, we had a training today for all staff, and we brought in a woman actually that talked about soul care, and it was phenomenal. Like It was wow. just really helpful, really good, practical, like to the point. Plus, I know it's not the same, but you know, to have all of our staff on Zoom, and I can like scroll through the pages and just see the faces of these people that I really care about. That, yeah. That's always that always kind of helps break the monotony of just like writing and emails and sitting on a screen. So right. I, yeah, I've I've appreciated that a lot. Um, I I found an article that you and I have like talked about, but not really taken a deep dive. And it's from wellandgood.com. It says, "No, we actually don't have a ton of free time right now, <laughs> and why we need to stop perpetuating that myth." What, what's going on here? Yeah, so I think it's a little bit of what I just touched on there about getting into a rhythm, but also it's this, well, we're all home and we're not able to go out and do our normal things. And so there's this feeling that we all have a lot more free time. So this article quotes a quotes a tweet from somebody who says, if you don't come out of this quarantine with either a new skill, starting what you've been putting off like a new business or more knowledge, you didn't ever lack the time, you lack the discipline. And uh, so it's this sense that we all have more time now because we're home. 
And on some levels, there's some truth to that. But then, you know, there a are some jobs where now it's busier, but also now, especially with those of us with kids, we're homeschooling our kids and helping them process all that's going on. Uh, and so I think the point of this article is like, let's be careful uh, just assuming everybody's at home just watching Netflix and trying to fill their day because uh, uh, schedules have changed, but they haven't for everybody. Uh, they haven't exactly loosened or gotten free. We're not all on spring break for however long this lasts right now. Yeah, and later quotes uh, Erica Quizeta York, who's a certified nurse midwife who works for a hospital-based uh, OBGYN practice in the Bronx. She says that even though she sees a lot of her patients through telemedicine chats, that um, she's spending even more time at work, which a lot of us are feeling. So, you know, even her normal free time has become more limited. And this is her quote. She says, because I spend so much time reviewing my charts to see who needs to come in face to face and who can be seen remotely, I estimate I spend an extra 60 to 90 minutes daily at work compared to before the pandemic. On top of that, I spend a lot of time treating my patients for their pandemic anxiety on top of everything else. And it takes me longer to take the subway between work and home because of transit reduction. So the, for the people that are still having to go in physically somewhere, uh, that makes a whole lot of sense. But what I'm also finding is that a number of people, especially ministry people, they're still fully at home and are still finding themselves with less free time, not more. And I don't know, have you felt that at all? Are you breaking even on this or where do you where do you kind of land on the spectrum there? I feel like it depends on the day and it's a little different for you and I because we've got you know, also this radio show to do, but it is, um, it's just different, right? Like it's what I said earlier, like there's a whole other end of the spectrum here. I don't know if you have found this of like almost feeling guilty. Uh, if you're not crazy, because you know, you're some of my Facebook feed, there was a guy on today on Twitter going, well, about to go into my seven hours of zoom calls. And I was like, seven hours of zoom calls. (laughs) Right. Right. And so there, there, I can see both ends of the spectrums could be hard. This, uh, I'm, I'm still too busy, and it seems like everyone else is not busy, or vice versa. But mm-hmm. I think what it comes down to is we've all just got to be good with our rhythm. And like what my church needs is different from the church up the road, is different from your church, and, and just stop, you know, uh, uh, comparing what we're doing with each other. And just, you know, I love hearing that you guys were doing soul care today, like. Just be healthy, get into your rhythm, love your family and do what you got to do without this. Oh, I'm you know, I should be less busy or more busy and and throwing that on top of everything. Yeah, I like the way this article ends, too, because um, one of the people they quote says people need to prioritize their own well-being. And if they have free time, consider helping those who don't. Mm -hmm. So he goes on and says everyone has their own challenges in this period. And those with more free time should be looking to support the most vulnerable and the overburdened not being individualistic and having tunnel vision, missing what they could be doing for their communities. It is time to be more for each other, to do what we can to support ourselves and others through this, the challenges we face. And the analogy I keep hearing people mention too is, you know, when you're instructed on a plane, when the oxygen drops down, you, you need to put the oxygen on yourself first before you help someone else, which can feel selfish, but you're not really of any use to anyone if you're passed out there in the cabin. I think a lot of the same principle applies here. It, it actually has made me think, you know, we often quote, um, you know, the great commandment, love God, love others, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's easy to kind of skip over the as yourself piece, actually, yeah. especially if you're like missionally service minded. We jump right to the, ah, we need to love the world, which I obviously totally think we need to. And we've talked about that a lot in the last five weeks on this show. But what I think is often overlooked, and we talked about it in our soul care training today, a lot of us are attempting to give what we don't have. You know, we're not taking the time to find rhythms to be replenished. And so 
maybe maybe that's encouraging or challenging to one person listening. Like that's not heroic to keep burning the candle at both ends at the detriment of being able to care for yourself. Obviously, yeah. it can run too far the other way and someone can selfishly only think of themselves and not give back and not serve and not love. But man, sometimes I feel like the other tendency is way more popular right now to just give and give and go and go and go without asking the hard questions like, wait a minute, how how am I actually doing right now? Yeah. What am I doing to set myself up for success? I think that's really, maybe they need to go play wiffle ball. <laughs> Absolutely. I know for my own life real fast, it feels like my days are busier or 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 at least as busy. What's gotten really loosened is my nights, right? You're not out. You're not at kids stuff. You're not at these meetings you would have done. You do them over Zoom. And so I've been just trying to take advantage of the nights with my kids and have some real intentional family time. I just think it's different. And we all just need to kind of get into our rhythms here. Yeah, I totally. And obviously, everyone's rhythms are going to look a little different. And I think right. that there's a. Uh, there's freedom and all of that as well. All right, coming up next, a, an article that I've avoided doing on the show, but I just can't avoid it anymore. It's from the Washington Post, and it's comparing the uh, modern-day American protesting stay-at-home orders as modern-day Rosa Parks. We're going to talk about that comment in this article coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, the uh, the current champ in the Fromm Wiffle Ball League or <laughs> FWL. Like short. Yeah. yeah, I'm just, I'm gonna bring it up a lot. I'm gonna start I'm gonna start beginning segments like a uh, like a baseball announcer and just give you like all of the pomp and circumstance I can muster. I think that'll really that's that's the missing element. This show is really needed is just pretending like. You're uh, a baseball superstar. I, How would I you like it if I may, maybe, especially after victories of mine, we could have my son on just to shame him a little bit. <laughs> no, he's he, he's currently up three to one. I don't think there's a whole lot of shame that you. Oh can no, have. he's up four to one. He is up four to one. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think we need to revisit the word shame, Brian, because I think that he's got the upper hand here. <laughs> <laughs> but not yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's and he's thirty years your minor, so maybe there's something to be said about that. Um, if you want to find us, and uh, I highly recommend that you do, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, and there's lively discussion going there. You can also shoot us a message if you have an idea for an interview or a topic or an angle. We really do love uh, any feedback that you can provide there. You can go to 1160hope.com on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And uh, we're also podcasted. So if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all that really does help us out. And I had mentioned earlier, this is an article I've been kind of trying to avoid from the Washington Post, comparing Americans protesting stay-at-home orders as modern-day Rosa Parks. But before we dive into that messy story, Brian Fromm has some good news for you. Yeah, during the coronavirus pandemic, we do know that there are many businesses out there that have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. And we also know that there are still many businesses, many of you out there that are trying to stay open and serve the public as best you can. So if you're one of those people, if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. That's all one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. There's a brief form there for you to fill out. Go ahead and fill that out and we'll be compiling all of that information and sharing it with our listeners. It's totally free. No catch, just something we're trying to do to help you out. So go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. I really like the uh, the added emphasis on open there. That that really made that extra cheery. These businesses nice. are open. Open. Okay. So here's the article out of Washington Post. 
uh, White House economic advisor Stephen Moore says, and I quote, I call these people the modern day Rosa Parks. They are protesting against injustice and a loss of liberties. He's, of course, referencing Americans that are protesting the stay at home orders right now. And uh, I'll just let Brian Fromm, why don't you go ahead and get us into the weeds here? Yeah, I think, you know, I'd start by saying this. I've actually been surprised uh, by the number of protests and how quickly they're popping up. Like, I do get the people who are worried about whether it be uh, businesses falling apart or the economy stalling. I get the arguments about, you know, New York should have one thing and maybe rural areas should be in another way. Like, I do understand the conversation that's going on, uh, but the the uh, within feels like the last week, it kind of started up in your state up in Michigan, but it feels like whether it be Michigan, Minnesota, Virginia, even New Jersey, where I'm from, where they have the second most deaths, I believe next to New York, uh, people protesting to open back up. Um, the, the, pa- the passion's not the right word. The anger in these have been uh, really crazy and people are likening them on that side uh, of, you know, that that's like a civil war. We're rising up and you see people with their guns and their masks. Uh, but to go the level of, of Rosa Parks is just feels absolutely tone deaf protesting against injustice and loss of liberty. Like I think before the protest, it feels like there just needs to be a conversation about, um, you know, kind of what we talked about yesterday, like where's public health versus personal liberty versus uh, economics and, and how do those all mesh together? And so I would say uh, kind of this, um, the angry protest of people with guns, I didn't see coming. And uh, they've gotten pretty loud. And, you know, that's why this Rosa Parks line, I suppose, shouldn't be a surprise. But uh, I think most of us are kind of rolling our eyes at it going, I, I feel like that was uh, just a bit different. Well, and we posted this on the Facebook page a few hours ago and uh, got a couple of comments. Cassandra says, he obviously doesn't know or understand who Rosa Parks is then with a face palm emoji. Our very own Dan Ehrman said protesters may need to move to the back of the bus. I'm not sure if where would you land on, on that comment, Brian? It's it's witty. You know, I think <laughs> uh, I think what he's trying to say is, hey, we, we need to, like, think of other people here. But yeah, absolutely. You know, a good so, joke. I think I think it's good. So Andy Barsh, who uh, is an, a, she's a brilliant attender community and a mental health professional, she shared a tweet that I had seen elsewhere. And this person said, it's important to note that the people protesting for businesses to open back up aren't fighting for their right to go back to work. They're protesting to demand others, other workers be forced back to their jobs to endanger themselves in order to serve them and their non-essential wants. <laughs> so, I, well, and, it's, and I've only seen snippets here and there, but it feels like, yeah, a lot of the things that people are, uh, protesting for are opening up, you know, the barbershops and the salons and which I, which I get, you know, that's something that pe- people want, but how, how we define what actually is essential right. is, uh, is probably more important now than ever for us to really have hard conversations about. Yeah, I get that we all want a haircut, um, but that maybe doesn't fit into the category of essential. What, what do you think of this, this uh, article overall? I, I think it's pretty open-handed. I think uh, it does a good job getting quotes from people on both sides. You know, I I think when I think about all of what's going on, it it does worry me about how quickly uh, people are wanting to get back to my personal liberties. You can't tell me what I can and cannot do it. What it strikes me, it's, it strikes me as people who say that don't believe that this virus is actually a big deal. 
there's a lack of belief that that 40,000 plus people dying uh, is um, that it's either not going to hit them. So therefore, they shouldn't lose any personal liberty or people all the way to the to the far right extreme that are calling some of this a hoax. Uh, to take away our liberties. And, and I think that's what this comes down to. That's what worries me because you start to also see states like Georgia, Florida, opening up South Carolina, Tennessee, all of them started to open up yesterday. And it does make you worried that, man, we're, we're about to get another run of this and more people are going to die. And it, it strikes to the unorganized nature that we as a country have right now around this. You know, I, it, it worries me again. I understand people, especially business owners. Like I get it, uh, where, where they would be anxious to get going again, but that doesn't even feel like what's at the heart of the protest right now. So you're saying they're opening up like these states are opening up emotionally is what you're saying? Like, <laughs> I wish that was it. <laughs> getting in touch with their feelings. Is there any shred of truth? Do you think in any of this? Like I was just watching a, a little monologue from Tucker Carlson that's saying, there's a lot of experts that are saying some of the best places to be right now are outside, not necessarily just hunker down in your house. Is there any ounce of you that thinks, all right, I, I could see what some of the conspiracy theorists are thinking or why they think, you know, this is uh, some kind of ploy sure. to control the American people or at the very least ulterior motives from certain leaders. Is there, is it black and white for you or is there any sense that there's, foul play somewhere in the mix sure i'm not i'm not a conspiracy theory guy and so i don't go to there's some bigger plot here uh i do though get like i i had a a distant relative who's in hawaii who lives in hawaii and he was posting on facebook like they shut down all the beaches they're shutting down businesses and they've had four cases and he was like it feels like there could be a more moderate move like those types of things that gray area i do get like i don't go conspiracy theory hoax Bill Gates is trying to ruin, ruin the world, whatever. Right. Um, but, or they're trying to make sure Trump can't get reelected. I will never go to any of that. I do think there's some gray area here, but I don't think the way to get it, that gray area is to put on a mask and a gun and go to the courthouse. That seems a bit crazy to me. That's so radical of you to say, Brian, it's like you're a Jesus person or something. <laughs> uh, Anywho, coming up next, here's the headline. Americans are poisoning themselves in their rush to fight virus. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us all over the World Wide Webs, probably even in other timelines, other galaxies. It's 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 that far reaching at this point. Uh, it's that's not accurate. I don't think that's I don't think I understand how podcasts work or radio works or any of that. But either way, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles and we have discussions. You can send us messages or a smiley face. You can also find us at eleven sixty hope dot com slash the common good wherever it is you get your podcasts and on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And before we jump into this next story here. And the headline is simply that Americans are poisoning themselves in their rush to fight virus. I want to talk to you a little bit about Thrivent. So Thrivent is a uh, financial, is a Fortune 500 non for profit. They've been around for like 100 years. I'm a Thrivent member, have been for like seven or eight years. I love Thrivent. You can go to Thrivent.com to learn more. They do a lot, a lot of great work, not just here in Chicagoland, but globally. They're also uh, open for some prospective hires. So if you're looking to uh, make a career change, you're entrepreneurial. You just always want to be your own boss. You can go to thriving.com slash careers. Plus, they have a whole mess of webinars they're offering. 
uh, webinars featuring Lisa Graft and Lindsay Bacardo talking about quarantine and self-care and managing stress and fighting for joy, stuff that like Brian and I hear people talking about as pastors all the time. So we've been posting all that stuff on the Facebook page. Highly encourage you to check them out. There's like four or five coming up in the next week or so. And uh, our hope and prayers that those things are helpful for you. Okay, Brian, what is going on here? How are Americans poisoning themselves in their rush to fight virus? Yeah, this is at Bloomberg. And when I first read this article, I thought to myself, man, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't here. <laughs> so yeah, right. uh, it said poisonings related to cleaners and disinfectants surged in the United States last month as the global pandemic spurred a haphazard rush to disinfect everything. Hmm. <laughs> Listen to this stat. Calls to state and local poison control centers tied to cleaners and disinfectants rose 20 percent in the first quarter uh, to forty five thousand five hundred and fifty, according to data from the U.S. uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Complaints included shortness of breath from inhalation and dizziness and vomiting from ingestion. Uh, Calls to poison centers increased sharply at the beginning of uh, March 2020, uh, according to CDC's more morbidity and mortality weekly report with the, while the increase affected all age groups, children five and under were disproportionately impacted. Uh, And so it goes on there to say uh, you've got to be really careful that as we've had this rush, rightfully so uh, to clean everything and we're constantly wiping stuff down that uh, people are being a little bit haphazard with their cleaning products and, leaving them out and little kids are drinking them or combining stuff and things are happening. And uh, like I said, people are taking the right step to go and clean everything and disinfect and do what we're told to do. Uh, But there's some danger on that side. For instance, it says a preschool age child swallowed an unknown amount of ethanol based hand sanitizer. She got dizzy, fell and hit her head and then vomited on the way to the ER. Her blood alcohol level was more than three times the legal limit for driving in most states. Thankfully, she recovered in two days. And so I think the word here is, especially for parents of young kids, uh, clean really well, but be much, uh, be really vigilant about what you do with those cleaners, especially with kids around all the time. So I'm wondering, and the reason I wanted to talk about this one, it was uh, just an interesting article and something that I hadn't really been reading anywhere else. But two, I'm wondering if there's a metaphor here, if there's some kind of analogy, something that this is representing, like the maybe overcorrection or the effects of, you know, global scare and fear tactics from the media or Mm. when we're concerned about an issue in our own lives and we overcorrect, you know, we use analogies like, oh, the pendulum swung too far the other direction. Or uh, I'm wondering if like this short little story um, makes you think of anything in spiritual life and everyday life or whatever. Like, is there any kind of correlation that you find here? Like, Oh man, in our, in our rush to protect ourselves, we're actually harming ourselves. Like what, what does that make you think? Man, you're putting me on the spot there. I, I would like to go back and say, you've probably got one in mind, but let me try to come up with one off the top of my head. Let's go for this. So maybe if you grew up in a Uh, in a very fundamentalist uh, home or church and you get away from home, uh, you get a little bit of freedom and all of a sudden the freedom becomes so intoxicating that that you swing the pendulum too far the other way and uh, you go too far with license and you begin uh, entering into sinful and destructive behaviors uh, 
much further than than is good for you because you're kind of rejecting your fundamentalist background. How did that one work for you? That was good. I, I actually don't have anything planned as a response. That was not a uh, that was not a setup at all. It was just interesting. <laughs> it was the kind of headline that I saw that I uh, it made me think, gosh, there's a deeper truth there for sure. Like it, yeah. it makes sense, you know, and we certainly are the same way. We've been disinfecting everything. When we, if we go out to grocery shop, we're leaving, you know, the shoes outside and we're bringing hand sanitizer with us and we're wearing yeah. a mask. You know, we're taking necessary precautions and, and some might even say we're being overly cautious. We got two little kids at home. So, you know, that's that's been interesting just to see in general people's often very vocal opinions about how protective we should or shouldn't be. Uh, it made me think of a story that I heard a few months back too. is talking about the history of the seatbelt and how. You know, driving a car before the seatbelt was really dangerous. But what this article was kind of positing was that since the invention of the seatbelt, we actually drive much more recklessly because okay. we have this sort of like blind trust in the seatbelt. So some statisticians are making the case like, yeah, the seatbelts do help. But as a population, we're now driving more recklessly because of the confidence of this seatbelt. And I thought, well, isn't that an interesting metaphor for life? Mm. So often, you know, if we all just it's the reason that I find like things like the Autobahn so fascinating. When I first learned about the Autobahn when I was like eight or nine, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's probably an accident every 12 seconds. Yeah. You, know, you should do your research. And you're like, it's one of the safest roads in the world. You're like, How right. is that possible? How is it possible that a, a road like that with so few limits could be safe? And, I, and it, it made me think of like the level of awareness that you know, we often associate with in uh, in a pandemic and a seatbelt conversation. I'm just curious if you think there is um, if articles like this will deter people from over sanitizing and over cleansing. Like, will this be like a wake up call for some people or is it like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm going to do. It's a bummer for them. But yeah, I, I meet for me and my house. We have we have a way we're going to do things. Yeah, I don't think it should stop us or will stop us from sanitizing or over sanitizing. I think what it should be a reminder, it should be a wake up call is, uh, you know what? Just because you're taking care of one danger doesn't remove the other danger. And so you got to be, be mindful of like, like your house, right? Like my house, I'm not real worried about my kids drinking cleaner, but you need to be worried about that. Like with a two sure. and a one year old. So you've got to be like. Just because you're sanitizing doesn't take away all the danger. You got to remember what you're doing with the cleaner, how it's meant to be used. Like it does take some vigilance to get this right. That also makes me think of another thing. You just sort of said it um, that we remove one danger, but often find ourselves in another one. Yeah. I've often heard, especially like growing up in youth groups, sometimes the way that we talk about like sin management, you know, like we talk about, hey, don't, yeah, you shouldn't be doing this thing. So we like really focus on not doing this one behavior and then we just fill it with like another toxic behavior. That's right. Like we pat ourselves on the back. Like, well, I stopped doing this one thing, but we didn't actually teach them spiritual formation. We didn't teach them healing. We didn't teach them to be contemplative or to actually listen to the voice of God. Like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes totally. it comes to a one-to-one, like this thing is an issue. I'm going to, I'm going to disinfect it till the cows come home. You're like, well, actually you can overdo that too though. And uh, I don't know. That was just a weird, I, I wanted to kind of see where like your the, brain went with that idea because it was an interesting headline and at the very least something that uh, I thought people should know that I wanted to yeah. make people aware of. Be careful uh, out there with that. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Coming up next, a segment that we're going to do for the remainder of this week, uh, a buddy of ours, John Perrine, he's doing a series called Meaning Making in the Midst of Pandemic as a part of the uh, Judson Daily Podcast. And today's is entitled The Mic Drop of Moses. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. Wherever it is, you get podcasts. And we're also on Twitter and Instagram. The handle there is at Common Good Talk. And every day at this time, we're actually featuring a really special podcast series through Judson University, my alma mater. And Chris Lash is sort of the uh, the mastermind behind all of that. But this series features a friend of ours named John Perrine, and the series is called Meaning Making in the Midst of a Pandemic, and today's episode is called The Mic Drop of Moses. Take a listen. I want to tell you about The Mic Drop of Moses and what it has to do with making meaning in our lives. I mean, The Mic Drop of Moses. You have to at least be a little intrigued what The Mic Drop of Moses might be. But first, before I get into that, I just want to remind us yesterday where we began in talking about meaning making. The world, it seems, has lost its story. And specifically, when we lose God or the story about God, it becomes increasingly difficult when turbulence happens, such as this overwhelming pandemic that we're all experiencing, to know who we are where we're going, or why any of this matters. So if, if that's the place that we're stuck in, if we're stuck in the midst of a meaningless, storyless existence, how do we recover meaning? Well, to answer that question, I want to take us back in our imaginations, just briefly, to journey with the Israelites. You see, Israel themselves had known what it meant to be enslaved. You see, for four Hundred years. I mean, picture that. 400 years, Israel was forced into manual labor. They were beaten. They were terrorized. Their children were taken from them. And yet, miraculously, unexpectedly, Moses arrives on the scene and tells them that God has come to deliver them miraculously from their oppressors. So imagine you were one of these people who intimately knew suffering and enslavement And yet you witnessed the incredible hand of God as God came with each of the ten plagues, one after another, as it culminated in the death of the firstborn son of all of Egypt, except for your people who were passed over because of the blood of a lamb. Imagine you were there at the Red Sea. You witnessed as Moses lifted his hands, as the waters parted, as you walked through that dry ground only to turn around and see those very same waters crashing down upon your enemies. I mean, such a sight, such a memory would have been incredible to behold. Yet, if you continue on this journey with Israel, imagine yourself sitting around the family dinner table as you watched your parents and their parents start to complain. The more time you spent in the wilderness, the more manna you ate from heaven, the more and more your parents start to say, we may have been better off back in Egypt. Or even your grandparents say, do you remember the food we used to get back in Egypt? Surely it was better than what we're suffering off of now. I mean, this is the tension of Israel's story, that they witness such incredible, miraculous acts of God, and yet immediately after, the very same people are grumbling and complaining, and it will become such a problem that God will condemn this entire generation, parents and grandparents, to death 
in the wilderness because they cannot put their faith and trust in God. Yet imagine still that you are part of the new generation, the generation that is camped on the plains of Moab. Now, Moab was this region right on the other side of the Jordan River that would have been hilly and would have overlooked the promised land that God had offered to your people. And as you were camped on this plain, what I like to think, if you go back in your imagination, is that you could you could see Israel. You could see, at that time, the land of Cana that would soon become Israel. You could see it. You could see glens of trees that looked lush and fertile. You could maybe see these large herds of cattle and livestock. You likely would have sat with your friends and, and pondered and said, what what will life be like there in the promised land? What kinds of goods will we partake in? How might our wealth increase? How, how might the the food and enjoyment of culture swell as we finally enter into this promised land? Now, I don't want to overdraw parallels too much, but the reason why I take us to this moment, camped on the plains of Moab, as we ourselves are here in the middle of a pandemic, is that Israel was facing the exact same tension in their history of needing to discover where they would look for meaning. How will meaning guide them into this new land? How will meaning help them make sense of this new land? So in this moment of tension, in this moment of wondering what the future would hold, Moses is going to appear one last time on the scene. Now, at this moment in Israel's history, Moses is by now the wizened rock star that I can't help but think had to look somewhere between Gandalf and Dumbledore, right? Moses has been this fearless leader. He's now in his late age. He has walked with God, has known God through all the highs and all the lows of Israel's history. And Moses is going to give one final sermon that is going to be his mic drop. It's his last word for Israel that's meant to offer them a vision of how they are going to find meaning in this new land. And that sermon, the mic drop of Moses, is the book that we now call Deuteronomy. So what does Deuteronomy have to do with meaning making in the midst of a pandemic? Well, You've probably, if you've ever done a reading plan of the Bible, stumbled across Deuteronomy and either been intimidated, overwhelmed, or, to be quite honest, bored, because you found in it a number of abstract and mundane laws, right? This is typically the reputation that Deuteronomy gets, that it's one of the book of the laws, contains many of Israel's laws. And I will be completely honest with you, if you get into the later chapters of Deuteronomy and you don't have a lot of context, you don't have a lot of time, it can seem strange as you wade through the weeds of all of these mundane laws. Yet here's here's the point with Deuteronomy that I want to offer to you today, Judson, as a vision for finding meaning in the midst of a pandemic. Again and again in the book of Deuteronomy, in the midst of all those laws, There's actually one commandment that's shared over and over and over again. If you read through the entire book, it's guiding the vision of Deuteronomy. It's guiding 
the whole structure of the law. In fact, it's almost like this one commandment. If we could just keep it, if we could just obey it, then all of Israel would find the blessing and flourishing that God intended for them. And the commandment was simply this. Remember and do not forget. Remember. Let me give you a couple verses here. Deuteronomy 8, 18. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Did you catch that? Remember, remember all that the Lord had done in the wilderness. Remember so that you might keep these commandments. Remember. Here's another great one. Deuteronomy 15, 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. Here's what Moses is trying to say in his mic drop. And here's the vision he offers us in the midst of a pandemic. The way to obey God in uncertain times is to first go back and remember who God has been. Remember. If you remember, then suddenly the commandments of God, the instructions of God, the obedience to God, it's going to intuitively flow out of this deep-seated story, remembering the story of how God has been with you, has worked for you in the past. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkin here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities? And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this next hour, no, COVID-19 is not an act of judgment from God. Also, embracing the chaotic side of Zoom, and we're going to have Jeff and Brian Becker back on the show. This is The Common Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Brian, how you doing? I'm great, man. How are you today? Super duper. Still still rocking and rolling in the free world. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can find us on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. You can send us a message if you have suggestions or ideas for the show. We do really mean it, especially in these kind of uncertain times. We would love for this show to serve you all well. And if you have ideas or recommendations or input, that's the best place to do it. You can also get your podcast, get your podcast, get our podcast, get our any podcast, podcast, but most certainly ours. You can also ask Alexa 
and uh, she'll bring you right to the podcast. And if you wouldn't mind subscribing, rating, and reviewing, all of that does really, really help us out a whole lot. And lastly, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk, and we would be uh, we would be delighted. I'm going to go ahead and say delighted yes, to interact with you in any of those ways. There. So uh, we've joked a lot, Brian, about Zoom fatigue, and we've we've probably shared more of like Zoom catastrophes that we've just yeah. happened to see online. Uh, but this article out of the New Yorker talks a little bit about embracing the chaotic side of Zoom, and the uh, the subheading is this: in a time of social distancing. Our background noises, bathrobes, and other bloopers can be unexpected sources of connection. What's going on here? Yeah, so really long article. We'd encourage you to read it, as is often the case with The New Yorker. Um, but it's this uh, reality that in what felt like overnight, if not just a couple of days, people like me and some of us went from barely ever using Zoom, maybe having never used it before, to it being the only way of communication, whether it be at work or with friends or with family. And uh, that it's this whole new reality in our culture. And and so what this article does, it kind of highlights some of uh, the funniness that comes with it, right? Like uh, you see the clips of somebody in a meeting and, you know, their, their wife comes in the background, not knowing she's in, in, uh, in there or their kid comes running in or whatever else it might be. And so part of the article is like, don't be too casual on Zoom, right? Like uh, it's still work, you know, you're, you're still in an environment, but then also embrace the chaotic nature of it. And uh, I did, I do have to admit, Zoom felt kind of fun the first week or two. Like, man, this is kind of cool. Now it just feels like a necessary evil to me. <laughs> like, like, you know what? We need to use this technology or else we couldn't communicate at all and be thankful about that. Like, right, a generation ago, we'd all be kind of in the dark right now uh, or at least just on our phones or whatever. Um, But it it is getting kind of tiresome to me. I don't know how you feel about Zoom right now. I'm feeling uh, the limitations of it are starting to bother me. But at the same time, thankful that we can still use it. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I would say necessary evil. I don't have that much disdain for it. It certainly is. Uh, it's lacking. You know, it is limited for sure. I had a, a buddy of mine. We've had it on the show, John Armstrong, and he wrote. He wrote a bunch of pastors locally, asking them to answer two questions. And the first one was about what What have you experienced uh, in deficit because of this now, like fully digital reality? Mm. And it was interesting to kind of have to put pen to paper and think through some of those answers. Like, what do I really what do I really miss? And I was surprised because like, obviously I miss the like big Sunday morning gathering. I miss like having everyone together yeah. and like yeah. singing and celebrate. I love, I love that time, but I actually found myself missing more of the like small ordinary moments. Like, man, I miss not being able to just go grab a cup of coffee with a friend or yeah. to give a hug to someone who's feeling a little heartbroken. Like I actually found myself more longing for some of those moments than anything, which, and it, you know, it oscillates between the two, to be honest, but thinking through in terms of church work, though, that's definitely where my mind goes. What I, what I find interesting about this article um, is that it is presenting an opportunity that I don't, I don't know that I had necessarily considered because we tend to think about our Zoom personas or our Facebook personas as, or at least wanting them to be the best version of ourselves. And we're, you know, people are making sure their, their backgrounds are all, are all neat and tidy or that they have, yeah. you know, they're sitting in front of as many books as possible or, which I get that's, that's all normal behavior, but this idea that hey, some of the mishaps, some of the like ordinary human moments, like might be a really helpful Avenue for us to feel 
a deeper sense of connection with one another in a time where we're having to stay physically distant, you know, like there's, and which that makes sense even in communicating, doesn't it? You know, like we've all heard a lot of like pristine polished sermons, but don't you feel like a strange sense of connection when you see the person stumble just a little bit or doesn't go quite as planned? There's a, I don't know, there's something else that happens there. Then I, I think this article's premise is really interesting. Yeah, I do too. And, and, you know, zoom now that later in the article they talk about some of the dangers of it now people right. what's it called is it zoom bombing is that what we're all calling it uh-huh. now where yep yep um which is just a whole nother deal uh and so a lot of companies are are not letting their people use zoom they're having to use other things uh which again speaks to some of the limitations and some of the dangers of it right um but yeah you know uh it, it is an interesting deal because um it's, I don't know if you guys ever used it before, but I never yeah, used oh, yeah. it. Literally, I didn't use Zoom for the first time until I was on quarantine here. <laughs> and then, does it, does it work with Explorer or did you have to? <laughs> uh, yes, it does. <laughs> uh, but, but that was the first time. And so it's been this big growth curve and that's where the enjoyment was for it. Uh, but your interesting question about John Armstrong about what do you most miss? I'm totally with you there, man. Like, yeah, when the weekend gets closer and I'm writing a sermon, I miss the kind of the rush of delivering the sermon, but also yeah. being with people, a lot of people. But man, do I miss just the kind of one-on-one at, at, at Panera or wherever, at Starbucks or wherever else, just talking across a table, being able to laugh and connect in that way. That's just different. It is just different. And uh, even the radio show, you know, like you and I, you know, we've been doing this from our homes and it's it's it, it's working great. Uh, but it's still different than sitting in a studio together and interacting with each other and stuff like right. that. Like, I think we're all learning the longer this goes. Uh, not that any of us doubted this, but no matter how great the technology, uh, it's not going to replace uh, human one-on-one interaction. And they, they quote, uh, the, the author talks about when they were a kid watching the Jetsons. Do you remember the Jetsons? Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I watched that every morning growing up. And uh, they used to talk about being way in the future and having video phones. And mm-hmm. part of the video phones is they would hold up masks of themselves right. uh, and talk behind them. So it looked like they took a shower. It looks like this. And that has a little bit of the danger too. what you were referring to with Zoom. So mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it's been a great technology that's allowed church work, radio for other people, business connections with uh, family and friends to keep going. Uh, but it certainly doesn't take away my longing at all for, like you said, that one-on-one or one-to-many interaction that will hopefully come back sooner rather than later. Yeah. The other thing this article is mentioning too, is that like uh, dating has obviously been hit hard by this and wow. certain, certain apps have like partnered with zoom to create like custom backgrounds of popular date spots, you know, like the bar or the park or the beach or whatever to make the date feel less like, like a conference call, um, which I never even really thought about that. Like props to you. If you're still even trying to date in this new reality, like, no can you doubt. imagine how to, all right, but then again, maybe, maybe for the right personality type, this would be ideal, right? Maybe having to be physically present with someone that you don't know that well, is actually made way more overwhelming. Maybe, maybe this is an opportunity. I don't know. I wonder if we'll see like a relationship boom from this because more people are having to connect digitally. I also think it's interesting to hear just sort of from friends, the different ideas they've come up with, you know, I have a buddy that's doing like a, uh, a zoom happy hour and they're just picking friends at random and having a beer together. 
I have other people. Uh, my buddy Nate is launching. I forgot what he called it, but he's going to text people at random a Zoom link that he's live on right that moment and just ask them like, hey, just take 10 minutes. Just stop whatever you're doing and like have a chat with me. Or, you know, people are thinking great. People are having Zoom dance parties. People are are doing the best they can with what they have. And as difficult as quarantining and isolating all that can be, I, it's been kind of inspiring to see the ways that people have also sort of yeah. innovated a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, that gives me a lot of hope. It totally works that way. I was watching something the other day where there was a couple, of, it was a, like a, a sports program and they all of a sudden had a contest, five of them who could get the most famous person on. And it, they couldn't like, the people would just pop on and it was fascinating to watch. Like I even wonder if like TV shows, shows like that are going to pop up reality shows and stuff where it's like, literally who's the most famous person you could get. And you're like, who's the next person going to be. So I do think <laughs> as a people, you're right. We innovate, we make the best of things. And zoom has definitely been much more of a tool than anything bad. It, it certainly has helped keep us as a culture and businesses and churches and everything well connected. Another friend of mine, uh, she's been doing game night. I think I've been doing Yahtzee lately with really? uh, with her sister and her mom, who are both out of town, and they've been inviting a fourth mystery guest each night. That's a surprise okay. to the mom. So it's been like childhood friends from years earlier, and they've been recording some of them. And their you know their mom is having these reactions that are so precious and so beautiful because in some cases they're you know kids that mom hasn't seen in 30, 40 years. And like, I don't know, that kind of stuff warms my heart. And we'd love That's to know great. this article is posted on our Facebook page. What are the things that you're doing to stay sane, to innovate, to utilize what we have, you know, to the best of our abilities. We would love to hear from all of you coming up next, Brian and Jeff Beckard, authors of the book, tender lions are going to weigh in not only on their book, but also how some of the truths from that book pertain to this current cultural moment. That's coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles, even articles we don't discuss. You can send us messages there. You can review the page. You can share the page. You can just smile at the page if you like. You can also <laughs> find us at 1160hope.com slash The Common Good. And on Twitter and, co- and Instagram, <laughs> on Twitter at Common Good. Holy cow. <laughs> Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk plus wherever it is you get podcasts. And if you wouldn't mind a little subscription, a little rating and reviewing, that all does really help us out a whole lot. Maybe share it with a friend. As we know, a lot of people are looking for podcast suggestions right now. And we are really excited. I think our only father-son duo in the history of the show, actually, Brian and Jeff Becker, the author of Tender Lions. It's been almost a year since we've had you guys on. Welcome back to the show. Thanks a lot. It's great to be with you guys. It's our pleasure. If you guys could just briefly both introduce yourselves to our audience before we kind of dive into the topic today. Fathers um, first. Okay, thanks. So so my name is Brian Becker. I'm in the Chicago area. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. I'm a grandfather. Uh, I'm a consultant to uh, nonprofit organizations. I do executive coaching with their their uh, leaders. And I'm also an author along with my son, Jeff. Uh, and I'm Jeff Becker. I'm also a consultant, but in the athletics world, and I've been in the basketball field for, gosh, my whole life, played and coached at the college level, at the high school level, and ran a club basketball program, and now consult with um, high school, collegiate, and professional teams and players on 
kind of like an athletic life coach and also an author with my lovely father who's on this call. <laughs> well, if, if we have time, I'll probably have to ask you about the last dance and maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get oh, to that. Hey. But let's, yeah, uh, let's me. talk, let's talk COVID-19 first though. What, what is, uh, what's going on? What do you, what are you guys seeing in today's world in the midst of this pandemic? Yeah. So this is Brian. I'll start, I'll start with that. Um, one, just to set some context, there's probably not a person in the civilized world right now whose uh, job, health, finances aren't greatly uh, uh, at, at risk or changed significantly from just several weeks ago. And we're such creatures of habit that schedule and connections with people are like hardwired into us. And all of that is in upheaval right now. So right. people are feeling a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. You know, I, this is also, let me chime in here. Uh, Jeff here, uh, the son, I, I would <laughs> say that I love the quote that I heard from uh, Pastor Greg Rochelle a few weeks ago. And he, he said, crisis creates clarity. Mm. And there's obviously there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of mm-hmm. outside circumstance that we have no control over with this negativity, but there's also a lot of good that can come from this. And with this crisis creates clarity. The clarity aspect is I think things become extremely clear with your relationships, your family, your faith, your health, your finances, and you can really pinpoint what's truly important to yourself your family, your fulfillment, and your happiness as well, I think. Yeah. And it, a lot of us are wondering, right, what can we do? What What are some solutions? Maybe you guys, maybe mm-hmm. Jeff, we'll start with you. What What is some advice you could give to parents, to leaders, uh, how to navigate what we're going through right now? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is leaders, parents, grandparents, we need to be demonstrators. We need to be phenomenal role models. Hmm. Um, and that, that doesn't mean that we have to know everything. Um, you know, my father and I kind of, we were talking about this before and we kind of pinpointed into four kind of topics. And I think most important, um, has always been for me, whether it's in this crisis or without is time matters, right? We need to be able to connect. We need to have rituals or deepen these rituals with our families, whether that's sitting down at the dinner table, whether that's praying together. Uh, my wife and I always talk, joke around walk day Wednesday, you know, we don't <laughs> take walks on Wednesdays, um, nice. you know, but just connect time matters. I think. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious if there are other things that you, uh, you have found helpful or have seen to be helpful that maybe churches or leaders are implementing. Brian and I talk a lot about how important it is to even establish new rhythms, which mm-hmm. I realize will be as diverse as family types and life stage and all that. But are there other things, other little nuggets that you've kind of seen out in media that have been helpful? Uh, for me, uh, I know that I'm such a creature of habit that my schedule has been altered radically because of this. Right. And so for me to be one of the greatest uh, contributors to stress is unknown and uncontrollable elements that are right. sustained. And so for me to schedule my day tightly, like when am I going to get up? When am I going to exercise? When am I going to pray, meditate? Uh, take a break at, at maybe more breaks than normal and just do things that renew my spirit. And for me, it's getting outside. So I'm doing a lot more walking, trying to do more of that just quiet time because, you know, bandwidth is really, really absorbed right. uh, by all of the news and all of that. 
So another thing, you know, just if you've got kids at home and that, and maybe you're trying to work and your kids are in the house trying to go to school, they come to you and they're like, hey, is this really dangerous? Are we going to die? I think they need to hear the truth and that hmm. and this tell them it, it is a dangerous time, but we're going to do everything we can to follow the rules, be safe, stay healthy. We're going to do this together, and, and, but but not to shy away from really being honest with with your kids about what's happening uh, with their fears and their concerns. Yeah, That's good. Brian, I'll ask you this one. Uh, this might be a strange question, but but how would people know that they're that they're doing this and they're processing all of this well? How would I be able to look in the mirror and go, you know what? It's a strange time. Things are weird, but but I'm doing okay right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we are. Uh, wonderfully, fearfully made creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, Easter is a marvelous time for us in that uh, we've seen in the life and death and life again of Christ how um, that the power of the creation, the power of mankind. And one of the chapters in the book is called Imago Dei, which mm-hmm. is a little Latin phrase that means we're made it in the image and likeness of God. And if I'm made in the image and likeness of God, whether I'm a teacher or a truck driver or a mom, uh, uh, that's really kind of second place, almost seems insignificant compared to that. I'm this child of God. And that's where my identity is, not in am I able to get out and make sales calls today? So I have to keep coming back to that. Yeah, could, can you tell us a little more about the book specifically? When you were here a year ago, mm-hmm. you were talking about mm-hmm. this book, and you would share uh, pretty vulnerably even about the dynamics between the two of you and what sort of led to the writing of this book in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I know that you didn't write and compile it during a pandemic, but I'm thinking back to that interview even. I think there's a lot of truths that still most certainly apply in the midst of a pandemic mm-hmm. and uncertainty yeah. and need of clarity. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit? Well, the book was born out of the fact that I was a pretty destructive dad 20 years ago and brought a lot of pain on my family. Um, And uh, we were really blessed that we worked through a lot of really challenging things and put that relationship back together. And Jeff and I, a couple of weeks ago, said, you know, a lot of those relationship building things from the book really apply today. Hmm. And Jeff, maybe you could talk to him about our, well, we, we call it the three H's. It's a formula that we think is really powerful. So, yeah, I was actually just thinking about that as you were, as you were talking, um, you know, the, so the three H's is to, to get honest, to get humble and honest, humble and help. Hmm. There we go. And, you know, <laughs> it, it starts with, you know, we can kind of put it in my father's base, but anybody is first, you need to get honest with yourself. Right. My father couldn't stand the man he saw in the mirror every day. He had to get honest with himself and he had to get honest with his wife, my mother. Um, and we, we had to get help. Right. They had to seek help as as a marital status. Uh, we had to get help in how to have hard conversations and vulnerable conversations as a family. Hmm. Um, but we also we, we had to be humble about it. Right. You know, pretty much rip off the bandaid and, and be extremely mm-hmm. vulnerable because uh, mm-hmm. without vulnerability, there's no growth. Um, you know, so, so to get help, to get honest, to get humble about all this, um, that's kind of the keys to success in any relationship, not just ones that are struggling, but for all of us. 
Mm. You know, I, I find that I've been married 36 years. And just this morning, I found myself getting short about something with my wife that I normally wouldn't. And I just mm. know that, I mean, I like being around her, but we've been around each other a lot in the last <laughs> five weeks. Okay. <laughs> and so I have to, I, you know, emotions can run really high when we're packed into this, packed into this place that's really tight and can't, can't get away from each other. And so that humility is like, whoa, wait a second. I need to really take a step back and try to keep my perspective in this difficult time. That's really good. You've been listening to Brian and Jeff Becker. They are the authors of Tender Lions, Building the Vital Relationship Between Father and Son. You can learn more, and I highly encourage you to do so at tenderlions.org. That's tenderlions.org. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Hey, thank you, guys. guys. God bless you. Likewise, God bless. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm, who is currently leading the Fromm Wiffleball League. And uh, there's a parade for him, I believe, next weekend. (laughs) Is it scheduled? Is that right? Just for one win, man. I don't know how long my back's going to hold up in this either. I'm feeling my 42 right now. <laughs> now you should be you should be careful during that parade then too in your condition. Yes. My, my goodness, that's a lot to consider. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good and wherever it is you get your podcast. I want to talk about this article out of Christianity Today, which have been kind of crushing it lately. I'm not going to lie. I agree. Every time, every time I hop on there, I think, man, they have some really talented writers. So here's the headline. It's kind of to the point. COVID-19 is not God's judgment. How we can know God isn't acting now as he acted against Pharaoh. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But real briefly, I want to tell you again about Thriving Thrive Financial. It's a Fortune 500 non-for-profit. They've been around for more than 100 years. I'm a Thrivent member. I love Thrivent, not just because they're brilliant, but because they're a Christian organization and they care about you know the same types of stuff that I do, especially when it comes to money. That can always be tricky. So Thriving.com. Highly encourage you to go there. If you're looking for a career change, you can go to thriving.com slash careers. And uh, if you're looking to be your own boss or you just kind of have an entrepreneurial drive, that would be really, really great to check out. Also, for the next week or so, and probably beyond that as well, they're offering a bunch of really brilliant webinars based on stress and self-care and taking every thought captive and fighting for joy and things that I think a lot of us are really grappling with. So if you go over to our Facebook page, you'll see a couple of posts there. Uh, all the times and links and all the info you could ever possibly want is all over there. And I highly encourage you to go do that. All right. So this is something we've talked about a number of times so far. Is this pandemic? Is this God's punishment? Is this God chastising us? Is this his way of instructing us or drawing us to himself? These are all kind of phrases that you and I have heard tossed around a number of times the last five weeks. What is the, the premise here in this article? I actually think, let me just read some of this article and then let's jump into it. He says, uh, a prominent church where I live uh, put up a billboard that drew citywide attention. It said, is the coronavirus a judgment from God? This is the most common question I've been asked since the pandemic uh, began. It's easy mm-hmm. to quote the Bible in support of such positions from plagues in Egypt to the destruction of Jerusalem to the book of Revelation's prediction that the world would be judged with pestilence. However, these are not those days. We can know this for two reasons. First, biblical judgments through disease are supernatural in origin. When God sent boils on Egypt, they broke out instantly on man and beast throughout the land. The pestilence of 
uh, revelation will come by one of the, quote, four horsemen of the apocalypse, not a wet Hmm. market in Wuhan. Hmm. Everything scientists can tell us about COVID-19 is that the virus evolved from other viruses. It's natural, not supernatural. God did not cause this virus or pandemic. It uh, pandemic it has created like other natural diseases and disasters. It is a consequence of living in a fallen world. Second, hmm. biblical judgments are against specific sins and sinners from Pharaoh's obstinacy to Miriam's racial prejudice to Herod's prideful idolatry. Divine judgments of the past and future come to those who refuse his word and will. Throughout scripture and history, God deals with us as gently as he can or as harshly uh, as he must. And it goes on to say, no specific sins cause this virus, nor are those who are afflicted with it more sinful than the rest of us. God loves the Chinese people just as much as he loves Italians, Koreans, and Americans. He loves the elderly and those with pre-existing conditions just as much as he loves the young and the healthy. One fact this pandemic emphasizes is that we are all part of one race, the human race, and we are all in this together. While God did not cause this pandemic, neither has he left us alone to face it. So I'll stop there. There's more to this article. Uh, But what do you think of that from Jim Dennison as an answer to that question of, is this God's judgment? You know, it's so well written that it frustrates me that I haven't been that clear when asked this question. It's my first thought. It's the feeling I tend to get when I read from people that are much smarter than me. I go, oh, man, I wish I had thought to say that yesterday when I was asked this exact question. Um, but honestly, it's been another part of this this role that I really loved because I don't know that I would have been reading these articles as closely if we weren't, you know, required to create some content every day and happy to do so. I think it's just amazing to me that stuff like this is uh, so clear and so concise, and yet you'll you'll still see protests and billboards and poster board kind of claiming or warning or declaring that this is God's judgment and the end is near. And now to be fair, most of the people asking me are not like picketing, yelling with with bullhorns. It's it's like real honest pastor. Would you, would you help me navigate this? Is the, is it possible that this is what's happening? And so I, I have really appreciated at least personally the general posture with which people have asked, like, it's just a curiosity, like, Hey, this is, we keep hearing the word unprecedented, right? Like in my lifetime, never seen anything like it. And people are legitimately searching like, okay, what should be, what should my posture toward this be? If, if this is judgment, uh, how do I respond? If it's not judgment, then where is God in the midst of this? You know, that I think those are the types of questions. I don't know. Do you, do you get questions like that from people in your church? I do. There's there's lots of people asking that question. And where I like to go, and I'm totally with you, this article is, has such more clarity than, than what I'm able to give it and <laughs> why I appreciate it. But when he said, uh, you know, first biblical judgments through disease are supernatural. And the way he ended it, like other natural diseases and disaster, it's a con- consequence of living in a fallen world. And that's really the one that I hang my hat on when I talk to people mm. is like, listen, uh, we live in a broken world, kind of the already not yet. Uh, we can hold on to two uh, wonderful truths. God is with us. That's the second half of this article. God has not left us to deal with this by ourselves. God is still right. redeeming. He is still working. And we can that could cause us to turn to him. Uh, and secondly, this is not how it's always going to be, right? Mm-hmm. The, uh, the the what, what, what we have to look forward to is a day where there will be no more, you know, uh, coronavirus. There will be no more tears. There will be no more cancer. There will be no more death. And and we can look forward to that. So we've got God's presence now 
and, and the ultimate victory to come. And, and that allows us to get through rather than go, well, is God like, you know, smiting us right now? Is there something that we need to not do? It should cause us to look inward and go, wow, where have I not been relying on God? Um, but yeah, I don't think, I think it's dangerous to be like, yeah, God sent the coronavirus because of X, because of right, Y. Right. Um, and, and I think that's not helpful. I do think it, it can serve as a wake up call where it reminds you of your own mortality. It reminds you of what you're not in control of. Um, but but that's far from, you know, God's judging the world by this. I think. Well, yeah. And it can be like a wake up call in the same way that being in a car accident. It's that's right. Like God made the car swerve right. into oncoming traffic. But something like that can sort of jolt you out of maybe a sleepwalking state that you've been at. And I love what he says here in the middle of the article. He says, well, God did not cause this pandemic. Neither has he left us to face it alone. He is with healthcare workers as they risk their lives to care for patients. He is with grocery workers and delivery drivers as they serve those who can stay safely at home because of their sacrifice. He is with those who are now unemployed and those who would shelter at home uh, if they had one. He is with patients who suffer and families who grieve as Jesus wept for Lazarus. So he weeps with us and for us. God is doing more than hurting with us. He's Ooh. redeeming this tragedy in amazing ways. And that to me, you know, as a, as a preacher, as a pastor, that's the kind of stuff that I want to, I want to keep that message yes. out in front because I think it's going to be, that might be tough to believe a month from now, you know? I agree. That's a well put at the longer this goes. And I do think it's important because, uh, these are, you know, these are important because it not just reflects, but it, it forms how we view God, right? Like, uh, and and so to realize that He's a loving Father in this with us, still present. I mean, they end the article this way: Our monotheistic faiths differ in foundational ways, but we share this belief in common: God is with us. As a song I learned in my childhood reminds us, He didn't bring us this far to leave us, and so. Mm-hmm this reminder of not only God, not only our ultimate victory in God, that we don't have to worry about coronavirus down the road, that, that he's with us in the midst of this near to the brokenhearted. Like those are the verses that really speak right now, right? Like God is near to the brokenhearted. Uh, he will never leave us or forsake us. And I think that is what allows us to persevere in these anxious kind of unsettled times. Yeah. And to maybe use resources like this as a way of, helping people see what is and isn't a reality, right? I think sometimes it can feel like if someone's convinced, man, that no, this is totally God's judgment and I'd rather not rock the boat. So I'm just not going to say anything. I think we do people a disservice by not being willing to say sometimes the harder truths like, Hey, I, I fully hear that you believe this. Um, could I gently offer this article or gently offer this perspective? Yes. I think that's another way that we can like show love to people is to say, I see that you're legitimately panicked and I don't want to diminish the panic, but I, I do feel some level of um, motivation or drive to say, let, let me let me help you better understand or better see. And it's a mystery. God ultimately is a mystery, you know, and the ways of God are a mystery. But to see right. with a little greater clarity what this probably isn't. And I think that that can be really helpful. Well, That's coming good. up next, we're going to land the plane the way that we always do with a little bit of interweb insanity stories that we have not read, sound effects we have not heard. That's coming up next right here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, 
Uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was, and it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. If you're new to the show, that music was maybe jarring. If you're not new to the show, it's probably still jarring, but for a different reason. Because you know what's about to happen. It's called Interweb Insanity. It's stories that our producers have selected for us often with an evil grin and a twinkle in their eye, and uh, we don't know what they are. So they've selected the stories, the real news stories, accompanied with real sound effects that Brian and I have not heard. And for some reason, we keep doing this segment because we're fools. I don't know, I don't know why. So before we dive into that, though, uh, Brian wants to tell you all about a cool thing that we're doing here at the station. That's right. During the coronavirus pandemic, we are aware that so many businesses have had to close their doors or reduce their hours. We also know that there are still many businesses that are open and serving the public as best they can. So if you own or run a business that's open and operating, we want to help you get the word out. So right now, go to 1160hope.com slash open for business. All one word, 1160hope.com slash open for business. Uh, Fill out a brief form and we'll compile all of that information and share it with our listeners. Totally free. No catch. Go to 1160hope.com slash open for business really good brian all right um even though you just read i still think i want you to go first i'm ready let's do it first one is from down under in australia families lottery numbers pay off after 20 years an (laughs) an australian family who collected a nearly four hundred thousand dollar lottery jackpot said they've been using the same numbers for 20 years Wow. The family told Lottery West officials the ticket they purchased for the April 11th Saturday Lotto drawing uh, bore the same numbers they've been using for two decades. Why'd you, why'd you skip the name? Uh, just right back. All right. The, the Lucky Charm Pinjara. <laughs> that is a good spot. I'm glad I, I'm glad I said it. Uh, they said, we've used these numbers since our children were born almost 20 years ago. The family's ticket matched all of the drawn numbers earning a Division One prize of nearly $400,000. Money, money, money. Money! <laughs> yeah, I kind of saw that one coming, that didn't uh, All right, so Florida, never disappointed. Yes, Fugitive homicide suspect arrested on newly reopened Florida beach. Oh, boy. <laughs> Maybe this will keep people away from the beach. The day after a Florida beach was reopened for physical activity, police arrested a Pennsylvania homicide suspect loitering near the dunes on Sunday. If you're a homicide suspect, why are you loitering anywhere is what I want to know. Yep. Florida Times Union reporter Jacksonville Beach Police were patrolling the beach to make sure people were practicing social distancing and other rules for beach activity. And they came across uh, Mario Matthew Gaddy loitering near the dunes. Officer learned 
that he was a warrant charging Gaddy with criminal homicide in Arnold, Pennsylvania, said Sergeant Tanya Tater. That's a cool last name. The department <laughs> posted a photo of the arrest on its Twitter account with the comment this morning while officers patrolled the beach proper, they captured a fugitive from justice wanted in Arnold, Pennsylvania for homicide. Good job. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, yep. residence, warehouse, farmhouse, yep. henhouse, outhouse, or doghouse in that area. That is good. Uh, oh, we're going back to my home, my home state of New Jersey. Man charged after grocery store altercation over wearing coronavirus mask. Hmm. Uh, a Sparta man was charged with making terroristic threats. During an emergency aggravated assault of a police officer and other offenses stemming from an incident at a stop and shop in the Sussex County town, Wadim Sakowicz, age 73 of Sparta, allegedly entered the stop and shop without a face mask on April 15th. Police said an employee asked him to leave and he became combative. While being escorted from the store, Sakowicz allegedly coughed on an employee. Oh, you can't do that. While Yikes. claiming to be positive for the coronavirus, Yikes. police said when Psychoix was apprehended on April 17th, he allegedly resisted arrest and tried to spit on and bite the officers. Hey, you, let's fight. Name's fighting words. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, Georgia. We talked about Georgia a little bit today. High school will hold two drive through graduation ceremonies. George, George County, probably Georgia County, right? George yeah. County High School seniors will take part in two separate drive-through graduation ceremonies scheduled for 5 p.m. on May 21st and 22nd. The 21st ceremony will honor the top 20 students, collegiate academic students, and STEM Academy students. The May 22nd ceremony will honor the CAAB Academy students and HHS Academy students. Each graduate will be given two tickets, which will allow them two vehicles in the graduation procession. Each vehicle must present a ticket in order to join the uh, the line. The vehicle will enter the school. I'm not going to read the details of how it's going to work. It says <laughs> at the very end here, it's important to note that only cars, trucks, SUVs, and family vans will be allowed in the procession, and no one is allowed to ride in the bed of a truck. Can I help your order? I mean, can you order? No, no. I mean, let me start over, okay? Last one. We're going to stay in Georgia, and this one uh, worries me from the headline. Oh, boy. Woman gives birth during car crash, then can't find the baby. Oh, boy. This is what we're going to end with? I, I'm worried about this. I'm, I'm going. Okay. Okay. A frantic trip to the emergency room became even more chaotic for a Georgia family when a mother gave birth during a car crash, and they couldn't find the new, newborn when the vehicle came to rest. Police say a woman was behind the wheel of her SUV early Monday, rushing her pregnant adult daughter and a one-year-old to the hospital because the daughter was in labor. It was dark and the roads were wet. When the driver tried to make a turn, her vehicle hydroplaned across the roadway, oh hit a curb God. and a power pole before slamming into a brick wall. What? Police say body, police body camera footage from the scene shows windows of the SUV were busted. I gave birth in the car. One of the women is heard telling the officers. The woman told officers uh, that they couldn't find the baby. They better find this baby. They better. Body cam footage shows Huff gently lifting the baby out from under the seat and rushing it to emergency. The newborn was placed in neonatal ICU and is stable and okay. Oh, thank God. Hello. Hello. Like, that should prove that we don't ever read these because I was getting really nervous reading that story. I was getting nervous too. I could hear it in your voice. I was like, I don't, this is not. 
Yeah. Holy cow. All right. Well, I guess technically we could chalk that up as ending on a quote unquote positive note, I guess, by comparison. At least least neutral. (laughs) That that one feels like a Keith. Anyway, we hope that uh, today was helpful or challenging or encouraging in some way. We hope you join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, my name is Ian Simpkins on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you're like.